Welcome to Inaudible. I'm your host, Jeremy Wyland, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nithin Reddy. On this podcast, we discuss the weird, beautiful channeled messages found in the long tradition of contact with the Confederation of Planets in service to the One Infinite Creator. These messages articulate a philosophy of spiritual evolution popularly known as the Law of One. Many of these messages are available to listen to on our sister podcast, Living Love and Light, available on all platforms. We seek to provide analysis and commentary on this philosophy described in these messages, identifying the common themes, and grappling with the application of this information to our human lives. However, we are not counselors, gurus, or experts of any kind, so please evaluate our words in light of our shortcomings and use your own best judgment. Thanks for listening, and thanks, Nathan, for joining me on this very chaotic day of getting our act together to record this podcast. How are you doing? Wonderful. Always good to be here. How are you, man? I'm I I'm very, very pleased that you have remained chipper as I've put you off more and more and longer and longer today. As you know, we were we were sitting down to record after many delays and then all of a sudden uh, I had start having internet problems. It's like, oh man, it's like almost is the creator vetoing our recording today. And uh, I'm glad that we were finally able to push through. Maybe we'll do like a little bit uh, shorter session than we normally would, or maybe not. We'll see how we feel. Um, personally, uh, I'm doing good. I had some uh, good chats with working group uh, members today. And um, I'm just, uh, yeah, just, uh, I, I didn't get a lot of good sleep last night, so uh you know, but I've been I've been up for a while now, so I have no excuse. That's that's the deal. I sympathize. Um, I had problems getting to sleep earlier this week, and yeah, but well rested for today. And as you can probably see, um, I mean, I moved into a new place last week, so just and I'm all finally unpacked. So yeah, I'm just enjoying it. Yeah, yeah, it looks great. Um, and and a few less bugs, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> no no bug problem. Yeah. All right. Well, um, today we wanted to tackle the topic of balancing love and wisdom. This is a uh, topic that has come up in Law of One discussion since I first discovered it. Um, we have this concept of uh, this this free radiation of this primal primordial energy of the creation called love something that we don't usually associate with that uh, with such a, a dramatic role in reality. Uh, but our philosophy uh, indicates that this is the way love is. And then we have light or wisdom, uh, the, which we are going to be exploring as well. Uh, sometimes it seems like there is a tension between which of these qualities we should bring to bear on a given situation. I think this is this, this conundrum, this, this decision that we have to make in the moment is kind of where we're going to be focusing today. Uh, am I right about that, Nathan? Exactly right. Oh, great. Well, um, you have a proposed discussion, discussion structure here that I, I'd like to adhere to. Uh, is there anything you'd like to say to, 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 to give us an overview or an introduction to all of this? In terms of an overall introduction, uh, you know, what you said earlier in that um, balancing love and wisdom, it's, um, 
it's in a lot of the a lot of the quotations or a lot of the questions and answer sessions, and it's a it's a pretty essential part of um, the six density experience. Uh, and I think we'll be getting more into that. But it's I think it's a very uh, difficult thing. Otherwise, you know, um, wanderers wouldn't come here to uh, balance those aspects. And so we're just gonna try to shed some light on what exactly this balancing process entails. Yeah. I guess one place where we could start off um, would be uh, a uh, channeled session that I had some involvement in uh, at uh, the first channeling intensive of the Other Selves Working Group. Uh, in a session on uh, July 31st, 2021, uh, we discussed the balance between love and wisdom in particular. And there's a few things that I would, I would take away from this. And, and I'll start here. Um, so those of Kuo in this session say, the balance then between love and wisdom comes, at least in part, in an awareness of where one's own resources can be best spent not merely in the sense of where one's love can be best directed, but also in the sense of how much effort one should put into actually expressing and directing one's love, and how much effort one should put into the gradual discovery, the scientific, so to speak, discipline, of coming to understand what the effects will be. Theory and practice. This is at least in part what is required in balancing love and wisdom. But also the balance between love and wisdom involves the question of how willing one is to become the loving fool versus how willing, how intent one is on carefully walking the spiritual path forward. Again, these two are intimately connected. You may walk the spiritual path forward and lose all your friends in the process. Did you not love them enough? Or did you perhaps prioritize your pursuit of living wisely over your pursuit of living foolishly in the expansive energy of love? And I'll stop there. I think that might be like a good introduction because it puts into a context what it is that is at stake when we're doing this balancing. Um, on the one hand, wisdom seems to be this way of uh, picking out from what's offered of one's reality or one's catalyst those things that are good gambles <laughs> for uh, spending one's energy. And then you have this other idea of this, this complete gamble, this complete blind rolling of the dice in an expansive, radiative aspect of, of our consciousness, of our, of our beingness that you know we, we clumsily call love. And it's not entirely clear how we should make the decision on which of these qualities we should bring to bear at any moment. Do you have any thoughts on that, Nathan? I, I definitely think that's a good way to kind of think about these two, um, these two concepts, right? Love and wisdom. And, you know, maybe it's, it's useful before we kind of uh, dive into more quotes in is think in terms of like, what do we define um, love as? What do we define wisdom as? And of course it'll be informed by, um, the material, but what are your kind of thoughts on like, let's just start us off with the basics. Like what would you define in the context of this discussion? Like, yeah, what does it mean when we say love? Right. Yeah. That's why I read from the, uh, from the Kuo, because I, it's, it's something that when you put me to the test, I'm not sure I pass. Um, 
Well, I would go back to what I, I, I'm pretty confident in how I described love, which is this entirely ambiguous way of pointing at it. It's like <laughs> it's like talking about energy, right? Like just the abstract instance of energy. Is it is it radi is it you know gamma radiation? Is it light? Is it uh, heat? Yeah, it's just energy, right? That's that's kind of how uh, I think about love. It is kind of bigger than life in a way. It's a cosmic force. And therefore, when we're talking about love in the context of our lives, um, we need to be uh, careful about how we, how we, how we parse it. Um, I see love as this energy that's coming into us that we are shunting and channeling and blocking and letting flow given our thoughts and emotional state uh, as it as it as it radiates down from the creator and as it radiates up through our chakra system, and it is this kind of it's a medium through which, in our experience, uh, we can kind of have those connective, unifying glimpses at what the truth of all being one is about. But it's, it's a truth that's projected onto the screen of our lives and the screen of the, of the experiences and encounters that we have. So it's not it, – it's a little bit uh, filtered. It's filtered through all of this. And we have this filtered experience of it. And so uh, it's something that needs to be experienced. But at the end of the day, like – you know, there are lots of things that degrade that experience and make it seem like love is just greed or love is just desire or love is just lust or something like that. Um, so the idea is that love in, in the moment is this kind of thing that we're all, that Ra, those of Ra uh, command us or suggest that we look for. Uh, but it's also um, always at hand, we are told. And so we ha- we're the ones who have to reconcile this 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 ready at hand state of love and what what in the in the experience that's in front of us best serves as the way to sort of symbolize it. When it comes to wisdom, I think what we're talking about is using the accrued experience that we have, and this is not just our memory and it's not just our intellect. I think it's also and I think it also partakes of biases and balances that we bring across incarnations. It's kind of our, you know, Carla uh, talked about uh, the importance of having a rule of life. And that may seem kind of weird because uh, she uh, and those of Ra uh, hammered on the spontaneous nature of love and the, and the way in which we have to be, there has to be kind of like a spontaneous free giving of self in order for love to be radiated in the purest and most powerful way. And yet what I think wisdom is about is recognizing that the purest and most powerful way is the ultimate truth of things, but it may not be right for this particular moment. It may be that there is some sort of focusing that needs to occur, that there's some sort of direction or orientation that needs to occur in order for this love to find purchase in the way that in our best estimation from a veiled sense of, of our of our interests and a veiled understanding of what is playing out in the world, 
our best sense of where we might direct that and therefore uh, plant a seed, plant a seed in the world, whether that's in another person, whether it's something that we do that is recorded and then, you know, read later or watched later, um, or whether it's merely by the very act of us expressing it, grounding something in the world, even if nobody else sees it phenomenally. Now, now it's your turn, Nathan. <laughs> so I just want to say I agree with everything you, you've said. Uh, I would first off, let me just preface my answer with with uh, the the caveat that this we're talking about infinities here, and we're talking about concepts that can't fully be described in language. Amen. But if I had to sum it up and just give my thirty second elevator pitch, um, love is a, is a very primal aspect of reality, and there's many different concepts to the idea of love. I think a good way to start thinking about it, uh, if you haven't already, is just to see the basic forms of love that exist in every single energy center. And, you know, red ray, loving life. And this is just a brief, brief summary, because you could you could probably have an entire session on red, any of these rays, frankly. Orange ray, you know, love of uh, um, individual relationships and, and relationship to the self. Yellow ray, love of uh, interactions with groups and uh, organizations, you know, um, Green ray, love of uh, others unconditionally in the present moment. Uh, Blue ray, wisdom, love of wisdom and truth. And indigo ray, I think it gets a little bit more esoteric, like the love of um, one as the creator in this reality in a certain sense. And violet ray, I don't, frankly, indigo and violet ray, I don't know if I can really um, put those into words. So that's kind of what I would summarize as like a good, uh, quick and dirty <laughs> explanation of, of love to build upon what you said. Um, with respect to wisdom, wisdom is very interesting. I think you can describe it so many different ways. And, you know, I, I had a, a thought uh, uh, while you were describing your definition or, you know, how you uh, would perceive it is uh, wisdom is really how you exercise your free will in the present moment or how you plan on exercising in the future in order to bring about um, your service to the creator specific and specifically, generally speaking, service to others or service to self, or if you're, you know, you're beyond mid six density, I guess uh, the basically uh, service to the creator through the law of one, right? Pure law of one without duality. And so what I mean by that is, is that whenever something happens, the moment of interpretation is a free will uh, aspect and how you interpret that, uh, whatever is going on is an aspect of wisdom. But also, in order to serve, usually that, that usually that means doing. Sometimes it can mean some, doing something, saying something in the present moment or in the future. Um, that is also an aspect of wisdom because you have so many choices, right? You have so many choices of how you can interpret a situation, how you can respond in the moment, um, in terms of physical reality, and you know, in the future, there's so many ways you can respond. So, wisdom is really about, I think, serving in a very physical sense, in a physical reality. Um, and yeah, as we'll, as you touched upon it and we'll get into it, you know, there's many quotations from the material about how um, a lot of times it's not necessarily being overly focused on physical results. Right. Yeah. And uh, having kind of faith that what you're doing makes sense uh, or if it doesn't, that you'll at least learn from it. So yeah, that's um, that's at least the quick, my quick and dirty of those uh, two concepts. Well, you brought up something when you're talking about love that I wanted to uh, see if it would be fruitful to to dig into a little bit. How do you think that the uh, so we last episode we talked about orange and yellow ray interactions, 
How do you think uh, the chakras play with this balance between love and wisdom? Do you anything to say there? Uh, yes. So in terms of um, love and wisdom, I would see it that the love that is described in the balancing process as really the love that is maybe going on through all of the um, energy centers. With respect to wisdom, I think it, it also exists at every single energy center because, you know, in the raw material and the other material, it talks about like the red ray has, uh, you know, red sub orange, red sub yellow, red sub green, you know, all, all, all the sub rays are present in any given ray. But wisdom, I would say, is more focused on green, blue and indigo for in my understanding, although definitely there's aspects of red, uh, orange and yellow. And the reason I, uh, you know, the reason I say it that way is that we'll, we'll talk about quotes that really talk that mention that wisdom is not being attached to seeing results in physical reality. Right. Mm -hmm. And to me, red, orange, yellow is something very physical. And if you're not as focused on seeing results on physical planes, it, um, to me, it kind of, says that it's more, it's more weighted toward the, um, you know, upper, uh, chakra, so to speak, the upper rays. It's, uh, has a, it's of a less physical nature. I was surprised that you included green ray in wisdom. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I, I was thinking about this the other day, uh, I think in prefer preparation for the session and I originally wasn't putting wisdom in green ray. But there is, I think, as you get to the higher levels of green, right, uh, between green and blue, uh, green and blue, green does, it does impact blue. Um, there's, there's, the connection is too close because I believe in order to truly love someone unconditionally, you have to love their exercise of free will. Now, obviously, you know, if you're raising a minor child, you know, even the raw material talks about that. There's a certain amount of discipline. It actually uses, I was reading the quote the other day for this session, and I don't think I included it here, but it was talking about it's appropriate for a parent to teach uh, its child the ways of service through some form of dis like discipline, not necessarily like, I, I don't think it meant punishment, but like um, not just letting the child do whatever, basically. And I don't think you can, the concept of loving unconditionally including the idea of loving someone's exercise of free will, specifically what's difficult for most people is loving someone's exercise of free will to make stupid or harmful decisions to themselves, right? Obviously, if they're going around killing people, <laughs> you, it's going to be a little bit different. But I know when I describe that concept to a lot of people who uh, have very much chosen to be of service through love, through heart-based love, they struggle with it, right? There are a lot of times I think we're, we're raised in the society with the idea that if you truly love someone, you will do something to protect them, even if they're an adult. And even if they don't want that particular help, and even if they've chosen something that is harmful to them, it's like protecting them from themselves, right? A lot of people think that's a that's a very pure form of love. I think it is a form of love, but I think it's a distorted form of love. I think for you to have true green ray, unconditional love of someone, you have to, you have to be able to accept their free will to make stupid decisions. And that realization for me is, is green sub blue because it's the understanding of it's, it's a type of wisdom, right? Because if you're overly focused on them, not making bad decisions, that means you're almost overly focused 
on you not seeing bad physical uh, outcomes in this physical reality, right? It's like you don't have faith in the person figuring their own stuff out. And that's, and to me, that speaks of a lack of wisdom. So I, I think there are, I do include green um, in that discussion of wisdom. Interesting. Um, like I, to me, the, the, the big, the big uh, difference between green, ray, green ray and blue ray in this particular uh, uh, topic is best exemplified in the words of Ra and session 41, uh, question 25, where, and I'm going to excerpt something very quickly. The green ray entity is ineffectual in the face of blockage from other selves. The blue ray entity is co-creator. And then earlier they say green ray is the movement through various experiences of energy exchanges having to do with compassion and all forgiving love. And, and then they say, and the blue ray is the first ray of radiation of self, regardless of any actions from another. And, and to the extent that green ray is indicative of love and blue ray is indicative of wisdom in this one-to-one mapping that we have uh, sloppily, uh, or I have sloppily put them in, um, I think it's very useful to think that way in the sense that green ray in your rubric uh, is kind of like this way that you can keep radiating regardless of like you don't your judgment is not called to bear on whether or not you radiate right like you can maintain a faith in that person's goodness and the rightness of things regardless of how it looks if you can continue to radiate and that takes a lot of discipline that's why I think it's good that you said that it's we're talking about the upper registers very of upper. green ray very yeah upper. Uh, because it is it is at that level that you can start to tap into blue where you're not depending on the situation to reflect any given thing to you that you're looking for you're not looking for confirmation and validation from the illusion right you are simply broadcasting and you're doing that from a position where you understand that that situation that person whatever that you're broadcasting to is 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 accepting it on the terms on the same creatorship terms that you inhabit, right? Absolutely. Good, because I thought that was a little confused to what I said, um, but I just think it's good um, to 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 circle back to this uh, energy center uh, topic because I think it's a good way often to understand what we mean when we say love in a particular embodied mind-body-spirit complex context uh, and what we mean by wisdom when we're talking about a real life that a human being lives, right? Yeah, honestly, I feel like it's almost a a little bit of a a tragedy that um, chakras are are so often talked about in many New Age contexts in a maybe a more trivial manner because if you actually dig down to the just basic concepts, if you just Google chakras and, you know, in Hindu mysticism, um, which is at least where I'm most familiar that, that these concepts were written down uh, first doesn't necessarily mean they were first discovered by, yeah, sure. um, in that manner, but like you can actually learn a lot, but the, but of course, if you go to like pop culture, new age uh, chakras, you know, I think it turns, I think it, it unfortunately misleads people into thinking that this stuff isn't very uh, interesting or effective. 
but uh, absolutely looking at things through the, the rays is, is super important and super useful, especially in the context of figuring out um, this balance of love and wisdom. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I thought the next uh, interesting kind of area to go into was uh, talking about how in the raw material, they specifically point out how basically raw, the South, uh, the South American sixth entity complex and some other confederation uh, uh, sources mess things up from a perspective of wisdom. They, they got the love aspect, right. But they, they messed up what their, their acts of service or they learned from it, right. They changed their methods. Well, they're in sixth density. So like, this is where love and wisdom are being the most tightly and, uh, 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 finally reconciled and balanced, right? Like, and even they screw right. it up. Even they screw third density up. It's funny to think about that. Yeah. So uh, we don't necessarily have to read the quotes, but uh, basically, uh, you know, for those who are familiar with um, the raw contact, you know, raw talks about how they came to Egypt uh, in physical form, right? Uh, they actually say it. I think it's the 18th dynasty. Um, I don't remember the exact number of years, I think 4,000 years or something. And um, this, if, for those interested, it's question two or session two, question two, uh, where they discuss this. And basically, you know, they um, tried to teach the law of one, but because they came in like physical form, people just like didn't really get the message. And there was distortions of seeking towards power and they ended up having to like exit because they felt they're they're now in a hypocritical hypocritical position, right? In yeah. terms of um, they were trying to teach it all as one, um, and you know there isn't uh, a hierarchy of uh, basically entities in in a spiritual nature, and that's ended up that's exactly what they ended up uh, doing by coming in physical forms because they're so different than everything else, although they're human beings, right? Yeah. Yeah, then, I think uh, it's I think it shows how fraught these things are. How you know, one thing we might want to talk about when we're in in the context of this balance is trial and error and the role that it plays yes. in understanding this stuff. So, one one way of saying it is trial and error. Another way of saying it is catalyst and 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 experience being the 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 distillation of the content that is needed for the balancing. Um and yeah, do you want to say anything about that? <laughs> yeah, no, no. So I actually did find an interesting quote specifically about Rob, Rob messing up, so to speak. Uh, so it's a uh, session, uh, session one, question five, questioner. Could you, you could you give me a little bit uh, more detail about your role with the Egyptians? Ra, the identity of the vibration Ra is our, our identity. We as a group or as you would call a social memory complex made contact with a race of your planetary kind, which you call Egyptians. Others from our density made contact at the same time in South America and the so-called lost cities were their attempts to contribute to the law of one. We spoke to one who heard and understood and was in a position to decree the law of one. However, the priests and people of that era quickly distorted our message, robbing it of the, shall we say, compassion with which unity is informed by its very nature. Since it contains all, it cannot abhor any. When we are no longer able to have appropriate channels through which to enunciate the law of one, we removed ourselves from that hypocritical position, which we had allowed ourselves to be placed in. Uh, And so it just, it's, it's kind of, it's exactly what you said. It's trial and error. It's learning from it. Um, 
I think though, if we were in Ra's position and we could kind of analyze um, the thought process that led up to that that decision to come physically, there'd probably be other deeper realizations as well. Um, I don't think it's just you learn from experience and maybe there was no chance of understanding uh, that things could have turned out that way. I think there probably there are going to be subtler things. Maybe even in this case, Ra was overly focused on seeing results in physical reality. And so they're like, hey, we got to come there you know, physically and that's how we're going to get stuff done. I don't know. I just think that it's not mere trial and error. It's going to be, I think there's going to be some sort of assumption distortion that's going to give rise. That's only going to be discovered through that trial and error. You know? Right. No, that, that, that's the whole point. It's not, it's not that we're just uh, bumping into things until we, uh, until we find the way out. It's, it's that the bumping into things is itself the learning process. It's, it's the process of catalysis and showing us orienting, orienting us uh, by the mere fact of showing us where we shouldn't go. Um, in that uh, Quo session that I talked about from our uh, channeling intensive, Quo talks about uh, uh, trial and error in this. And, and they say, in seeking the balance between love and wisdom, as we have said, there will always be trial and error. And it may seem as if the errors continually repeat themselves. But to the one committing the errors, there may always be a lesson adduced, even if to those outside who observe the repeating cycle, the error not seen is plain. As we have said, there are multiple balances to be had in the relationship between these two energies. So what looks to another as unwise, excessively loving, may in fact be a gradual effort to strike a balance unseen to the one observing. Likewise, what looks to one as unloving, excessively scrupulous, perhaps even cold or aloof, may not be, after all, a repeating instance of lack of balance between love and wisdom, but may be a balance sought to that entity that is simply not easy to see. We have, quote, each in our own way seek to strike that balance. We each stray on one side or another. We commit our energies to theory and practice in the hope that, together, these two sides of service complement one another in, a har- in as harmonious a fashion as possible. So I think that maybe puts some... Uh, some 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 details into this balancing that the higher density entities trying to help us are 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 engaged with you know it occurs to me that like trial and error is a fantastic way of describing how a protean entity might might uh, uh separate and come back together as long as the timeline that that needs to occur in is not capped and it's infinite, right? So it's kind of like, right. you know, uh, you give 100 monkeys enough time and they'll write Shakespeare, right? Like with enough time, enough random clicking, they will do that. And that is kind of like a cosmic principle of evolution that we are trying to understand what a self-aware entity starting to partake of this process, like – we now we have to make decisions that are reflective of these higher ideals in the hopes I would seem I, I would think of uh, of finding the more efficient ways to do it right of finding the ways that get us there the quickest although you know saying quickest when we're talking about infinite time spans seems really <laughs> seems really meaningless and I think Ra even says that like these time spans on that level are meaningless we however have finite lives we however do have what seems to be um, a limited time span in which 
to either learn these uh, lessons or go back to the starting point of another incarnation. So um, I, I do, and I also would point out that uh, Kuo seems to uh, uh, agree with you that there, there, there is a place for withholding judgment from those who seem to be blundering, right? Like, I think one another way of thinking about that is another self doing something that seems foolish or that seems aloof or overly balanced toward wisdom uh, is another you finding the way to be that you in that body, in that spirit, in that particular shard of the creator. That's you doing that. Like you may not like looking at yourself doing that because I certainly don't like watching myself blunder and run into walls and crash my car and all this stuff. But like the way that we come together and find this light within and network it together into a social memory complex is by allowing this process to occur and teach. The point is that in trial and error, it seems like we don't ever learn anything. It's just errors. But that's a that's a misnomer, right? Like we're all learning and we're learning from each other too. So this is a collective process that we're engaged in. We just execute it on an individual basis. And that's that is, I think, a big part of what's so mysterious about the evolutionary utility of individuation, of being in these self-aware units of the creator. And it's not even about the veil. It's just like, why, why do we have to break into these pieces and figure this stuff out on these very um, individuated terms, these terms that are like uh, completely unique to us? I think that's there's, – there's something really rich there that I want to explore, uh, but I don't think this podcast is the place to do it because <laughs> it's mysterious. It's a mystery. I absolutely agree with you when it comes to mystery. Um, and in, from the perspective of, um, I guess, when we exit this incarnation, if there is a suggestion box, I'm definitely going to be filling it with a lot of suggestions as to like, hey, why is this set up this way? Um, but I guess it is what it is. Uh, so one other, one other thing that uh, Raw talks about happened from a perspective of too much wisdom and too little uh, love was uh, the fifth density wanderers who came to Venus you know, when Raw was graduating, right? You remember that example? I, I think it's it's uh, very interesting. So yeah. basically, I'll, I'll read the quote. It's pretty short, but for those who are not familiar with the quote at all. Um, so Raw talks about that basically uh, during the harvest of Venus, uh, you know, there, it, Venus went through a third density phase where it was habitable on the surface. I think they say 2 billion years ago or something. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I think on that planet, it was a pretty small, it was a pretty small harvest, um, maybe some, maybe a little bit more than earth, but it was something like 20% was harvestable after 75,000 years. And as we're coming up on that period of time, there were two positive wanderers who um, felt that uh, basically there, they actually felt that there was um, not enough wisdom and that if they, uh, if there was more wisdom, then I guess more of the third density Venus Venusian entities would be able to be harvested. So uh, they kind of incarnate. And, you know, when you incarnate into physical reality, at least in, in this solar system, uh, supposedly there's a strong veil. So they, in, they enter incarnation and they kind of forget a little bit, a little bit about um, who they are. Right. 
but they still want to help people uh, polarize. And so basically they, they meet up the two wanderers and they basically start waging holy war and they actually are able to, um, <laughs> I think they actually, it did say that there was, um, they helped a little bit with people that, or with the, um, with the entities that had not yet fully polarized. They actually did help them polarize accidentally a little bit towards a negative and they themselves were harvested negative, which they didn't, weren't planning on doing. So basically it says, uh, Ra, this is session 89, question 35. Ra, in our peoples, there was what was what may be considered from the viewpoint of wisdom and overabundance of love. These entities looked at those still in darkness and saw that those of a neutral or somewhat negative viewpoint found such harmony, shall we say, sickening. The wanderers felt that a more wisdom-oriented approach of seeking love love could be more appealing to those in darkness. So they, they're kind of going there to help the neutral or negative leaning entities to be more, to find the positive path. First, one entity began its work. Second, uh, quickly, the second found the first. These entities had agreed to serve together. And so they did glorifying the one infinite creator, but not as they intended. About them were soon gathered those who found it easy to believe that a series of specific knowledges and wisdoms could advance one towards the creator. The end of this was the graduation into the fourth density negative of the wanderers who had much power of personality and some small deepening of the negatively polarized element of those not polarizing positively on the planet. So it's, it's very interesting that it, it seems that, that wisdom, the, or where wisdom can go wrong is when you're overly focused on a particular outcome in physical reality, right? Even, even in this case where the positive wanderers were like, Hey, we want to help out. We really want to help people learn more positivity and they go there and they, and they focus too much on maybe seeing changes in physical reality or just they're too, they're too attached to seeing something in something in physical reality. And it ends up uh, turning them negative, right? Absolutely. I had, I had just taken some notes um, to, 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 to hit just this note. Uh, It's like the overbalance towards wisdom is when you start clinging to a specific approach and yes. in order to achieve a specific outcome. And there is another side to wisdom that the Buddhists often talk about, which is the wisdom of refraining, right? Of thinking twice, of not recognizing um, the illusion of urgency, that that we always feel like something, you know, the, the, the illusion is great at creating the sense of stakes. We have stakes in our life. In our, in our livelihood, in our relationships. And all these things are fragile and can be lost. And so there is a part of us that wants to cling to that. In fact, I think that's maybe even a part of us that we uh, innately bring through from second density. And then wisdom, the ability to uh, abstract and intellectualize these things, uh, codifies that into like a set of specific understandings, like as, like you quoted Ross saying. Um, the wisdom of refraining is to be able to like not feel pressed by that need for outcomes and instead to be able to see the the kind of trajectory of things and like take it in give yourself buy yourself time to think and feel this stuff out uh cuz what you cannot what wisdom can't give you is that spontaneous inspiration 
to move in a direction, to take an action, to refrain from taking an action, to have a thought that then changes the way you see everything. That's love. And wisdom, I think, properly understood, makes space for love. And then it gingerly and carefully and delicately directs it based on one's best judgment, right? Like at the end of the day, we're not, we're not, uh, we channel, we try to channel the creator's love and light into our lives, but we also recognize that it's through the, the, the mechanisms of our mind and our body and our spirit, none of which we have perfect command over, none of which we understand the mysteries of completely. And so there will always be that trial and error part that we that if we are going to cooperate with the creator and not fight the creator, we have to make room for it and we have to accept. Absolutely. So if, if, if upper green rays is kind of accepting, you know, free will decisions of other people, there's a part of the Blu-ray that maybe goes to Indigo. It's almost like accepting unconditionally all configurations of physical reality. And that's hard, right? I mean, mm-hmm. If you, you know, read the raw material and I, you know, I like the raw material more for its, um, philosophy on life, on existing. Um, I personally don't, uh, get caught up in whether it's claims about physical reality are true or not. Like, okay, what happened on Mars? Okay. Raw has an opinion or information regarding that. What happened on Maldek? But assuming those things are true, mm-hmm. you know, Mars was inhabited by uh, third density beings that wage war and made, rendered the surface uninhabitable. Assuming that Maldek, right, the asteroid belt was a planet and that third density beings, um, which Ross has specifically thought that they're being service to others when they started a war, but they're actually it being more service to self and destroyed the planet. It's really hard. You know, uh, I understand the philosophy, but even, even me, if I'm like, someone asked me like, you know, Hey, how do you feel about planets being destroyed with, you know, billions of lives on them? Uh, it's hard. It's hard for me to sit here and say, yeah, I, you know, I kind of accept that as a configuration of this reality. It's just really hard, right? You want to take action. You want to force your vision of the world or of the universe onto a planet that might be destroying itself and be like, no, I'm going to stop that. No matter what it takes, I'm going to stop that. I don't care, right? I don't care if I have to go negative. I mean, I don't have to care if I have to use negative philosophy to stop that. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a part of me that feels that way, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, I understand that just a small part of me, but it's it's hard to accept some things. This it's is hard. what I was talking about, about uh, the negative aspects of parenting. Because it's so hard, we expect that there will be some uh, imbalances towards control. And, 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 and that could be also be said imbalances towards wisdom, right? Like, okay, I understand that this isn't allowing for you to be completely who you are. It's not allowing me to be completely who I am. So now we are going to introduce some constraints. We are going to interrupt the free radiation of of will and desire, and we're going to uh, shunt it and direct it. And, 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 And who is to say at the end of the day whether that whether or not that was the balance that was needed, right? Like that's the thing. It's like in and of itself, that negative direction is not quote unquote bad. It's just the question of, does it, is it, is it a balance that we want or not? And it's hard to see in the moment. Um, 
what you're talking about was something that uh, those of Monka uh, mentioned in uh, the session uh, the, earlier this year, uh, January 15th, when they said, uh, so when you encounter difficulties in the balance between individuals and a group, it's in the context of the you know group politics and stuff like that, but I think it applies here. So when you encounter difficulties in the balance between individuals and a group and feel that the power is misdistributed, that only the assertion of a single self, you, can correct that imbalance, we would ask that you pause and take a moment to get over yourself. And they happen to mention that they're looking right at the instrument, which I don't know who that might be. This life that you live, but this is kind of poignant, I think. This life that you live individually, think of what resonates in it and what blurs. What stands out but those moments when you connect? It's not all on your shoulders. You are not the single missing piece. And that feeling that we have of urgency to act and to foreclose on the unfolding of love spontaneously occurring in the moment, that fear that motivates that, that is part of wisdom, that, uh, that ability to see, to see the way things are going and to try to make uh, and try to introduce an interjection, to, to, to step in and, to, and to, to introduce a constraint. That's the best way I can put it. It's like this love goes everywhere as a protean entity only can. And then something about who we are in the illusion introduces like a stop to it. That then right. changes the balance of things. It changes the uh, the way that all of the things are flying in the air, and and then and then we have to deal with that. And who's to say whether that new condition that obtains is a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. It's what makes individuated existence so mysterious to me. Because then, what are we doing? Upon what basis are we doing any of this? Absent just complete blind faith. Absolutely. And, and let me let us back up for a second and um, discuss two concepts related to wisdom, because I think it, for me, uh, I, I'd love to get your opinion on this. All right. So from the so wisdom is very complicated, but from a positive perspective, if you're on the path to service of uh, service to others. I think it's useful to think of two frameworks, a lack of wisdom and then distinct from that an overabundance of wisdom. And this is all from the positive path because it's going to be different if you're not polarized or you're going negative. But I think the way I think of lack of wisdom um, for a positive entity is typically where they're they're doing something that is loving, right? In in a certain sense, yeah. But um, and actually, let me back up. I think there's a third category here that needs to be discussed, and one is just. Um, a, a distorted wisdom um, because I think even positive entities can use distorted or let's call it negative wisdom. Okay. Let's just call it negative wisdom. So the three categories, I think frameworks that are useful is a lack of wisdom an overabundance of wisdom and then negative wisdom. So let me just start with negative wisdom because we kind of already went to that example. It's basically forcing your version of reality. Um, you understand enough about how to make things happen that you make your version of reality occur, right? So basically, specifically those two wanderers, they were actually able to spread uh, the message of unity, but through a ne- but they ended up doing it th- through a negative polarization technique mm-hmm. because, you know, start basically are so focused on helping 
those entities who were neutral or leaning, uh, who weren't polarizing effectively to polarize more effectively. But they did it because they're very much focused on seeing a particular outcome. That's how I would define negative wisdom. Okay. You want results in physical reality. And I think even people on the positive path can fall into those, those, uh, into that kind of negative wisdom thinking where they're overly focused on a particular external reality configuration, right? They're very, they're, it's a, it's control. You're using what you, you're using your wisdom and understanding of reality to control the outcomes of reality. You know, it's, and that's different than kind of nudging it along. It's buying Um, into the illusion that that's the reality that matters, right? Exactly. Exactly. So with respect to lack of wisdom, though, I think lack of wisdom is you might not have a sense of control. You might be full of love, but you might think that the best way to go about something is to do something that if you had wisdom, you'd realize is dumb. So, for example, um, let's say uh, someone is, is, is starving and, you know, you're also starting, starving and you have and if whoever let's this is a purely constructed example, but both of you are going to die that day. You have one fish and, you know, that can only feed one of you, right? So maybe you give it away, right? And at that point, you're sacrificing yourself and the other person is surviving and there's full of love. But maybe if you had a little bit more wisdom, you could have figured out a way where, you know, maybe you can teach them to fish. I don't know. Something where it's it's a lot of times there's nothing wrong with self-sacrificing love. But often people, in my opinion, they don't realize that you, there are outcomes where you don't have to sacrifice and every, uh, you can still express as much love and still help the other person, right? Without necessarily sacrificing yourself. Okay, so a common example I brought up in the past is um, if you're doing a job that is really helping other people and you're burning yourself out, right? Long term, you're actually going to help fewer people than if you do uh, if you don't burn yourself out, you know, don't work 80 hours a week mm-hmm. um, and realize, yes, you might help out fewer people if you only work 40 or 50 hours, but in the, you might help fewer people in the next few months. But in the long term, if you don't burn out, if you're at this job for five, 10 years, you're going to be helping more people, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's this idea that both are loving, but one is informed of wisdom. So that's what I see lack of wisdom. Now, what I would call an overabundance of wisdom from the positive perspective is where there's just not much love there, but there's a whole bunch of wisdom. So it's kind of like, hey, it's all good. You know, everything is the creator's will, which is true. So if someone's starving, hey, it, you know, it is what it is. I don't necessarily have to help them out. <laughs> but you can only come to that conclusion if, you, if you're really, really, really de-emphasizing the love aspect, right? And Ra even talks about when someone's starving, <laughs> even, even if there's a reason for that, the appropriate response is to feed them, right? Absolutely. So what are your thoughts on kind of like using those frameworks to kind of navigate thinking of wisdom? The the overabundance of wisdom one is easy because it's just simply a lack of compassion. It's trying to use what one knows about the nature of reality, about the nature of oneself, all of these like kind of instrumental concepts that one can put into motion and affect one's will on the world. To some, to some varying extent, right? Um, it's doing all of that in a way that's allow, it's not allowing the catalyst of the creation to penetrate one's heart. Yes. It's a, it's, it, it actually, in, in some cases, might be a, a, a fear of, of, of feeling bad. And that if you just think that, well, there's a way to win the chess game, in every situation, I don't ever have to deal with the fact that I might lose. Right. But the 
the bottom line is that we've all lost before. And it's one of the most educational experiences you can have is, is losing the fight, losing the game, losing the battle, losing the argument, and having to reconcile that. You learn so much from that. It's actually a wisdom builder in addition to a way in which you get an experience of what all other people deal with too. Like this, this experience of loss and regret and sometimes even humiliation. Like these things connect us because we all have felt them. We all have felt them. And they can connect us just as much as love and victory and celebration. All of these things connect us too. Like we can find each other in all of these things. So the idea that you are going to uh, prudently route your way around emotionally turbulent things, uh, that to me is the sign, a real sign of overabundance of wisdom. And it's not that like the wisdom is bad. It's that you're relying on it too much. You're relying on this specific kind of approach to reality that then the more that the reality is understood and fixed and, and well-known and there's, and you've sort of like draw, you've, you've emptied it of any mystery in your rubric through which you're looking at it, the more it's dead, the more nothing new can happen. And you're, you're, you're kind of stuck in your own preconceived notions, previously accrued wisdom, but you're not growing it, right? You're just executing on it. It's a, it's a static situation. Um, by the same token, uh, uh, the spontaneous and free radiation of love that comes from a lack of wisdom um, can just get you, get you killed. <laughs> like it can, just, it can just get you dead. And, yeah. you know, that, that is also something that's not ideal. I don't care how symbolic and poignant and an example of the uh, uh, never-ending love of the creator a martyrdom is. It is also, as Ra, as Joseph Ross said, uh, a loss of an opportunity that is precious. It is, it is a coin that you may spend, but it is a precious coin whose loss will be felt not just by you, but by the project that the creator has laid out. Absolutely. And, you know, just a small little seg, um, aside in that, uh, you know, I, I, I resonate with a lot of stuff that Ra talks about. And I, I do understand where Ra is coming from when it, when it talks about Jesus having an abundance of love and compassion and a mm-hmm. lack of, of wisdom. But I feel like that statement of Ra, I think, was true for the moment of Jesus's life. But I think given what, you know, a bunch of wanderers have done with his martyrdom after the fact, you know, for the next, whatever, 2000 years, I actually think that with the knowledge of um, what, what has come after there, actually, it ended up being okay. Like there was actually wisdom, I think in what he did, he just couldn't have known it. Right. But I think in terms of, in general, do you want to just self-sacrifice yourself? That would show a lack of wisdom. But I would word it differently because I think that they were, uh, you know, um, a big part of why I think Christianity spread so much is because of his martyrdom, you know? So it's it's almost like that's just where I disagree a little bit with how raw worded. I would totally agree with in the moment when when he did that, you know, there's there'd be a lack of wisdom. But I think they kind of turned it around, right, so to speak. So... 
this is really interesting because it gets into what the value or resonance of certain actions that seem foolish or that seem super, super wise, even like these, 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 these instances in which an example is made that is designed not necessarily to get something out of reality, but to ground the creator for one moment in this illusion and to show the possibilities that exist. Because, you know, for example, giving your life breaks the illusion for people that uh, that it's all about surviving, right? It, it breaks that. How could he do that? Um, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, I think so. There's that uh, Quo Aaron dialogues uh, book, and yes. Aaron is the spirit that uh, or, or entity that is channeled by uh, Barbara Brodsky, I believe, and her relationship with this entity that she channels. Uh, apparent, if I'm not mistaken, it's um, that she, and it was like, I don't know, in the past sometime when they were warriors or something, and she threw herself in front of an arrow and saved his life. And that was the moment that he woke up and realized right. what the hell is going on in this life. And he yes. was he was enlightened ever since then. And Barbara's still in this world, you know, like she's incarnating, you know? So yeah. it just goes to show you that the way that these things work is mysterious, but there are these moments, right? There are these magic moments in which it seems like even the uh, imbalance in the extreme makes it, it balances the whole situation. Absolutely. Uh, even Ross says that uh, sometimes it's accentuating an imbalance, not balancing it, but accentuating it that causes it to be brought into balance because you need to kind of go more this way. The pendulum needs to swing more this way so it can get the motive force almost to swing the other way. And Hey, you know, to be fair, Ra is talking about, um, Jesus and other examples of, of entities having a lot of love and a lack of wisdom. But I think Ra comes out and says they are also balancing love and wisdom. And also they're, they're clearly their passive ends in Egypt. So I'm just saying like, you know, raw is a great resource, but maybe they're not perfect either. Right? <laughs> oh, sorry, no, Ra, I definitely, Ra. not only do <laughs> I think raw is not perfect. I think they have effed up quite a bit in our history. And it goes to, and I think my, my suspicion is that we inhabit a solar system that has been a problem child for the council of nine and the confederation for quite some time. Raw yeah. seems to have gotten out of Venus just in the nick of time. <laughs> yes. <pretty laughs> Even much. they had their negative problem, right? So there's something yeah. about the logos in this particular sector whose um, understanding of the archetypal mind and articulation of it uh, has created this situation that is problematic. Even when we go fourth density on Earth, our, our population is going to be largely fourth density beings from other solar systems. Uh, not enough of us. And there's going to be a bunch of people repeating. And... I am hoping that they go to completely different solar systems with completely different logoic uh, <laughs> fundamentals, and we can we can we can get these people uh, out of detention finally. You know. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a there's a hint as to um, maybe why this logos was more warlike was um, well one the veil, 
but then two, specifically the opposable thumb. Yep. Because that allowed us to create tools of increasing complexity, which is, you know, more difficult than if you're a third density, like something like a dolphin-like creature or, you know, a tree, things a tree. of that nature. <laughs> but moving on to another su uh, subject we've touched upon. So this idea that wisdom in the purest form or as you're purifying wisdom, it's this kind of uh, understanding that you won't always see the results of your actions, or you don't need to see the results of your actions on the physical plane. And I just want to read that one quote from Ra because I think it's really important. And it's, as I said, it's something I still am learning um, in my daily life, right? So it's session 42, question seven. Questioner, I would like to try to make an analogy for this in third density. Many entities here feel great compassion towards relieving the physical problems of third density, other selves, by administering to them in many ways, bringing them food if there is hunger, as there is in African nations now, bringing them medicine if they believe they require administering, administering to them medically, and being selfless in all these services to a very great extent. This is creating a polarization or vibration that is in harmony with the green ray or fourth density. However, it is not balanced with the understanding of fifth density that these entities are experiencing catalysts and a more balanced administration of their needs would provide them with the learning necessary to reach a state of awareness of fourth density than it would be to administer to their physical needs at this time. Is this correct? So once again, the questioner here is asking, hey, people are starving. People are medically sick. If, you know, if all is one, aren't they just experiencing their own catalyst? Why should we step in, right? It's literally what we talked about, an overabundance of, of wisdom. And so Ra answers, I am Ra. This is incorrect. To a mind-body-spirit complex, which is starving, the appropriate response is feeding of the body. You may extrapolate from this. On the other hand, however, you are correct in your assumption that the green ray response is not as refined as that which has been imbued with wisdom. This wisdom enables the entity to appreciate its contributions to the planetary consciousness by the quality of its being without mm -hmm. regard to activity or behavior, which expects results on physical planes. Yeah, we're not we're not just talking about Henry Kissinger sort of shrugging his shoulders and say, well, we had we had to bomb a, a million people. Right. We are talking about a wisdom that is seeing into the true nature of things and is letting that temper and guide the expressions of love. Is that kind of how you see it, too? Yeah, I mean, it's just this is just definitely something I still struggle with because, you know, in my life path, I'm very drawn to providing some sort of um, spiritual service, you know, of some mm -hmm. nature. And but I'm often judging whatever I provide, whether it's you know, um, you know, talking to other people about the law of one. You know, I'm always like, well, you know, not many people uh, responded, or not many people seem to find it that interesting. You know, I can't tell you how many times uh, a few of my friends, you know, I'll, I'll suggest uh, reading something uh, that I, I, you know, I think would be very helpful for them in their journey and they like, they just don't take an interest. Right. And they just don't do it. I'm like, man, am I, am I even doing anything here? Like, because I'm focused on, well, what is the uh, effect on physical reality? What is the effect in other people's lives? Am I having by opening a door, offering material or just offering, you know, usually solicited advice. Cause I, I've, you never want to offer unsolicited advice, but you know, it's sometimes like, man, am I making a difference? Right. And you often look to physical reality. It's hard. It's hard to, to say, you know what, I'm going to appreciate my contribution to the planetary consciousness by the quality of my being. <laughs> I mean, that's just hard. I don't think – so to call that wisdom is really strange in a way, right? Because you would think that would have more to do with faith. 
And so I, yet, I think faith is very interrelated to wisdom. I, I think that there is uh, something to be said here that's beyond just faith, because I think faith is the refusal to hold the the outer condition to some sort of personal judgmental uh, 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 terms. Uh, but I think there's also a deeper wisdom that is beyond the intellect. And I think that's what we need to address here. I think that's what Rob was talking about. We think of wisdom as like, hey, he's got a big brain. I think it's more than just being able to uh, think clearly and quickly and execute on the feedback mechanism of life better than somebody else. I think there is something deeper going on there, and it's something that we don't learn through the feedback mechanism of catalysis in waking life. It's something that we learn through the self-inquiry that comes from meditation and stuff like that. Um, there's a Hatan quote on this that I think might be useful. Um, it's from August 18th, 1985. Uh, Hatan says, as the conscious mind seeks in a more and more efficient manner, fueled by the continuing great desire to know the truth, the information gotten by this search then through meditation is passed through deeper levels of the unconscious mind and attracts that which resonates in frequency with it further accelerating the conscious recognition of the process of evolution that is being experienced in the day-to-day -day activities of the more and more conscious seeker of truth. Thereby is the focus through which the seeker views each experience expanded and expanded upon each level of understanding through the emotional colorization, the mental analysis, the physical symbolic experience. That's interesting. The physical symbolic experience and the spiritual basis for each other perception. The focus then is seen to include more of each experience as being seen as a distortion of the creator by the seeker, whether the distortion be towards love, wisdom, or unity. Those three portions that are available to all seekers in each experience. I think this is really a good a good way to uh, address these things because it talks about how whatever balance we think we're bringing to the to the to, to bear on a on a given situation, that's just our waking consciousness. That's just us using the meager tools that we have uh, in our conscious mind. We have more there, and I think that. True wisdom is a kind of cooperation across all these levels of the self to bring all of them to bear. And it might not even be like a prudence of judgment or uh, uh, mentation. It might be something that feels like intuition or feels like a spontaneous action. And it might have that, the love involved in it. But it comes from a deep area, and I think this gets back to the connection between love and wisdom that I originally questioned you about. Yeah, the the concept of like intuition being involved in um, an aspect of wisdom where you kind of follow that that part of your being that is not you don't you don't have conscious access to is is absolutely I think a, a key element of it. But you know, honestly, it's an area that I'm still learning about. So it's, it's difficult to be able to describe to others. And sometimes you definitely do, you still feel foolish, but I think it was, you know, I think uh, that was a quote quote where you earlier mentioned, it's like, you know, to act um, without fear of being a fool. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's very interesting. Being willing you know, to feel like a fool and thereby learn and absorb the lesson instead of be like, 
no, I was foolish. That that happened because I made a mistake and throwing it away, right? Right, right. So one of the final areas I wanted to discuss is kind of our personal experiences in balancing love uh, with wisdom, or at least it doesn't have to necessarily be personal. Um, it can be stuff that we commonly see. And we've already gone over a few, like the burnout example, right? Sure. Colleagues. But, uh, you know, one one example that's um, that's true that I've noticed in my family is it's part of it is cultural. Um, there's a cultural aspect to this um, this overabundance of love and lack of wisdom in what I what I've seen in in my own family. And it's it's Indi- I think it's Indian culture thing. So I've seen multiple times in India that when one of our uh, elderly family members is sick with a terminal illness, like this literally happened to my uh, grandfather. He was mixing DDT back, I think in the sixties and maybe early seventies with his hands because they told him it was safe. And he, so he died pretty early. Um, my other three grandparents lived to the late nineties. So, uh, but he died pretty early. And what was interesting is, uh, and I guess, I don't know if Indian medical ethics supports this or it's laid back and they're let whatever go, but he went in and, you know, with all of our family and he was diagnosed with cancer, but they did not tell him he was diagnosed with cancer. They just told him, Hey, you have a serious illness. And I'm like, why don't you tell him what he's diagnosed with? But they honestly, my family honestly felt that the most loving thing to do was to withhold the truth from him. And I see, and now that's just an example in Indian culture, but I often see that similar thinking that the most loving thing to do is to withhold the truth from someone who, you know, would want to know. Right. I mean, he didn't pressure the family to tell, but you know, he, he asked about the illness and they didn't tell him what it, they didn't tell him was cancer. He knows what cancer is. He might've been able to figure it out his own, but this is before, you know, uh, cell phones and even computers, right. In the seventies, you can't really look it up. It's a very tricky so, thing. Yeah. I mean, so what, what do you think about that? That archetypical, Oh, this is the most loving thing to do where you do something and you're kind of withholding truth from the situation. What makes it wise or loving is, is a, is a matter of deep personal inquiry because I'm not, I'm not casting any aspersions on your family here, but uh, I, I know that I have withheld the truth from people because I think it's the most loving thing to do. But I wonder if there was also an element of, it's also the easiest thing for me to do. It saves me from having to have that, uh, to, to, to break their heart and therefore to share in that suffering. So I think you, I think the issue is that this this the self inquiry and self knowledge that stems from things like meditation um, allows you to understand your own motivations so that wisdom doesn't make you deceive yourself. Right. Like I think there's a lot about wisdom and an intellectual uh, template to reality and sort of like trying to think that you can uh, like hack reality by like you know cleverly exploiting the rules or the laws or what have you that allows you to think that you can like avoid pain. Yeah. In fact, I think a lot of people say that negativity and evil come from this desire to avoid pain instead of to take it in and feel it completely and to understand that that's, that's part of the deal. If you want to feel joy and pleasure is you have to feel pain and loss and fear yeah, you have to open yourself up to all of it. And, you know, I mentioned the concept of truth. And I and I think it is part, it's related to wisdom, but I think a lot of people get it wrong, or at least 
the way I see truth. So when I, when I use the word truth, um, it can mean like what you're saying is literally honest, but I think truth on a deeper sense is that you're basically expressing concepts and you're acting from a place where you understand the unity of all things at some deep level. So the reason I mention that is um, this actually came up in my, in what when I was doing my MBA and I took a business ethic class um, and we did an essay. I did, I think I chose to do an essay on um, I think the nature of truth. And I, I said, look, <laughs> and we always go to these horrible examples for what I'm about to talk about. But I said, look, if you're living in Nazi Germany and you're just a citizen, a civilian, a non-combatant, and you're um, hiding people of Jewish descent in your in your attic, and you know the Nazis come knocking on your door saying, "Hey, are you housing any? Are you do you have any Jewish people in your house?" I think the most truthful thing you can do, and the most wise thing you can do, is to say no, because truth is more than just surface level whether you're being honest in the moment it, or not. It's, it's about not whether simply you're veracity. Yeah. Yeah. It's not simply veracity. It's whether you're expressing a universal truth of unity in your actions and words. And the greater truth is, is that people should not be killed because of their ethnicity or religion. Right. So I just want to be clear that, you know, I think a lot of people are just like, you know, they get overly focused on the veracity. Now you, you shouldn't use what I just said to like, Oh, I can tell white lies every single time I want to No, it's, it's, it doesn't work like that. But I think I just wanted to mention that because Sometimes people get overly focused on veracity, which I don't think really captures what truth is. Now, truth and veracity often go together. It's, I think it's very rare that they don't, but it's not mere veracity, right? Well, it, it strikes me that if you're living in a totalitarian, racialist society, you're already on a daily basis engaging in untruth and falsity and the path of that which is not. You're seeped in it every day. What what the right what the right thing to do is not at all clear. And one should have compassion for oneself on that. And this also gets back to the fact that sometimes negativity is necessary to balance things. Like I, I consider uh, it completely mysterious what the appropriate thing is to do in any situation. And that may be an unwise attitude, but it keeps my eyes open. And I, and I am hoping that, like, it will help me to stop jumping into my preconceived notions, which I have a tendency to do, and to sort of buy myself time to think because I can feel very harried and do things off the cuff. Um, if you're living in a totalitarian society, you feel very harried. You feel always under duress and all of that, right? So you're not – you know you're not making your decisions on your best self anyway. And it's like you can you can talk about stronger, uh, truer individuals and weaker, more uh, selfish individuals. But at the end of the day, from the point of view of the social energy complex that we all partake of and that we all get our senses of self and individuality from – uh, we're all affected by all of it, and all of the stuff plays into it. So I agree with you that like truth is something that's more than just a, a, a factual evaluation of, of – uh, it, it, it's, it's more about what is the truth of reality and yes. how can I express that? Absolutely. And I, I, I can't uh, emphasize more your point about staying humble and understanding yeah. you're not – going to know what to do 
in a lot of these situations. And that's okay. Because as soon as you, I think, have um, maybe an egoic sense of, oh, I know what to do. <laughs> that's when the reality is going to throw you, you know, uh, a loop. So on that, on that particular topic, um, I wanted to share um, an example where it, I, I really don't know the answer to this. And this is just a recent, it is more of a hypothetical, but it's a hypothetical that I think is going to come up. So I just moved to a new apartment complex, right? It's gated. Um, And, you know, reading the reviews, I'm familiar with the ups and downs. But one of the things that uh, was mentioned and that I also noticed is that, um, you know, this this gated apartment complex is near a shopping mall and it's near a a gas station. um, And there's some homeless. They usually, at least from what I've seen, they're usually closer to the gas station, but they're they're occasionally like near the apartment gates, right? I feel like and, we should rename this podcast "Homelessness in the Law." I know, of right? Because we bring it up I know, all the no, time. I do. I, 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 you can tell we're bougie because we have all of these like <laughs> hidden guilts, right? <laughs> right. So, I, in general, I've had I've never hesitated in giving anyone money, um, homeless money. But for the first time, you know, I thought like, and it was after I read a review saying, you know, I'm a I'm a single female. Uh, this is the review. Obviously, I'm a single female, and I don't I don't feel safe. I don't feel safe taking morning walks because there's homeless like right outside the apartment gate. So that's why I decided to move away. And I, and I thought like if I give homeless money that are right outside the apartment gate, that would encourage them a little bit, right. To maybe frequent that area more, but it feels horrible if you feel unsafe in, in the place you live where you don't feel like you can step outside and just enjoy like a weekend walk. I don't know what the answer is. And right now it's a hypothetical, but I mean, a lot of these situations, like my, because my heart goes out to the homeless and my heart goes out to the, the woman who's afraid. So it's like, I, you know, I don't, I don't know how to navigate it necessarily. Um, so the, as you, so as you mentioned, like it's, it's not always easy to figure out what the right thing it is to do in the given moment. Right. You just, you just have to I put your best foot forward, you know, do, do the daily practice. And if you make a mistake, learn from it. Yeah, take it into meditation and um, recognize that they're like the, the part that faith comes in for me is when you recognize that like, okay, the way that you just described that situation, there are two possibilities that are kind of zero sum, right? Either right. either we make it safer for the residents or we make it possible for homeless people to get what they need. But maybe there's a third and fourth option. And that that's the kind of thing that that if that were to exist or if it does exist, and I believe that it must, it's outside of the template, the rubric that the, the, the situation that you just painted of it being either or. Now, right. our minds are designed to make these either or decisions, our, our brains, I should say, our, 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 our animal brains are designed to say this or that, right? we're making these trade-offs all the time as a matter of like our instinct for survival at the very least. And then I believe that, that instinct for survival gets marshaled into, you know, conscious intellectual thought um, because it's just what's what we know. It's what's comfortable and it's what our bodies tell us. Right. So part of what I would say in that situation is it's the kind of, it's exactly the kind of thing that you could take into meditation and release attachment to outcome and see if some other way of balancing these things come up. 
And by opening to the mystery, you kind of release the fact that you're going to be the one that figures it out, right? You're opening up to a greater self that sees more of the situation and that has, and that isn't so attached to your reputation or your need to get it right. You know? Right. Cause we Absolutely. want to do the right so, thing. We want to do the right thing. It's very, very human. We're never going to get rid of our desire to want to be good people. Absolutely. So we have to work and with just, that. And just so you know, I'll probably be talking about these homeless stories either more or less because I uh, basically I'm starting to volunteer with an outreach program at a local nonprofit. So specifically with respect to housing and homeless. So maybe that's it. We I say, hey, we really need to come in my area and do the outreach here, right? Maybe that's the third option. I'm going to see all the haters. Watch out because like we don't just talk about homelessness. We actually do something on this podcast. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, any examples um, from your life or that you've noticed about uh, the difficulty in balancing love and wisdom? Yeah, I should I should have thought of something uh, before I came in. I think a lot of it has to do. I mean, the thing that I thought of was very similar to the do you tell somebody that their ass is hanging out or do you allow the situation to kind of play out and let their feelings not be hurt? Um. I've had a lot of situations like that with my wife. I've had a lot of situations with good friends uh, where honesty is not really appreciated. Um, And uh, I struggle with that all the time because it seems like to me in that scenario, it's an either or thing. And regardless of what happens, I'm responsible. I think that's the illusion. I think the illusion is that like, because you're the only entity over which you have any kind of like direct command and control. You feel that like your actions matter more than other people's actions. And subjectively they do because they're the ones that you're in control over. But at the end of the day, like some of these situations are not about you. They're about bigger issues working themselves out. And it's not so much that that means that there's a decision to be made one way or the other, but the point being that this is a learning opportunity, not just for you. This is a learning opportunity for the creator, and it might be a learning opportunity for the other people involved. And so you have to, once again, engage in that process of introducing yourself to yourself through meditation and contemplation and being able to sit with things that are uncomfortable and find out for yourself how uncomfortable they really are. Um, I have found that a lot of times I feel good about speaking the truth, even though it does cause some momentary distress because I value very much. And I think the people who are friends with me value very much more, most of the time the fact that they can count on knowing where they stand with me at any given time. And I'm not going to blow smoke up their ass one way or another, even if that means that we have some temporary uh, uh, friction between us. On the other hand, um, I do think that my judgment of situations like this is often governed by a personal and idiosyncratic sense of propriety. And, uh, Sometimes it feels very selfish to interject into things just because they make they elicit an emotional reaction or discomfort of some kind in me. Like uh, the point of 
acting on the world is not to make it safe for yourself. Right. The point of acting upon the world is to serve. And look, <laughs> it is completely ambiguous from moment to moment, whether your actions are motivated by a desire to serve others or serve the self. And we fool ourselves all the time in this. I really, truly believe that. Um, the, 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 the ideal uh, landing spot for that uh, balancing act, I think, is to have compassion for yourself and others and to recognize that all is well, regardless of what appears to happen phenomenally. But that, what I just articulated, is that not a form of wisdom? Is that ability to reorient the self, even when one is being blown about, blown about by a, a, an emotional uh, uh, sensation or a feeling of urgency or a feeling that something needs to happen now, you know? Uh, is that not a form of deep wisdom to say it's okay? And this is, this is what I always uh, hammer on. It's okay that you feel bad. Just because you feel bad right now doesn't mean you're wrong. It doesn't necessarily mean the situation is wrong. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with somebody else. And by the same token, just because you're feeling great, that doesn't mean everything's great. They're just feelings. And they're telling us stuff about ourselves chiefly that if we understood it completely, it wouldn't be registering as catalyst at all. The very fact that it stands out to us is something that sticks in our craw. And that's just not right. Like, that, there's just something not right about this. That makes it something to be worked with. It makes it juicy. It makes it uh, 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 tangible. And, like, now we can, get our, we can get our hearts and our minds around it and really engage in this, what is sometimes trial and error, bumping around to find the right path forward. And sometimes you're given grace. I would say, if I had to give somebody advice, uh, be open to it all. Be ready for any of it. Because that's one thing that uh, you can say about life is that it comes at you fast, uh, whether it's good or bad. It certainly does. It certainly does. Well, I think we we definitely covered a lot on balancing love and wisdom. And it's something that we, I think all of us are you know, at least as wanderers continually try to focus on. Yeah. There's still juice to squeeze out of this, but man, we, we spent hours just getting to the point where we could start recording. <laughs> yeah. So I think we can have some compassion for ourselves and say, you know what? We can always record balancing love and wisdom part do. <laughs> yeah. And, um, as a spoiler for part do, we never covered how, um, the South American social memory complex and other confederation entities kind of um, went astray with South America and maybe Atlantis. So, but we'll leave that for the, the next time we cover this topic. Oh man. Did they do right or wrong? Who knows? <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this and thank you for your patience all day. It's been, it's been up and down all day and you've been rock solid and I really appreciate how much uh, direction you give this pod podcast and the investment you make in uh, doing the research and stuff like that. It is super helpful. Um, so glad to have you, Nathan. As always, I'm just, I love being here. Thank you, Jeremy. 
Yeah. And uh, thanks to the listeners for listening to this podcast. Um, we're here for you. So if there are any things you want us to talk about, let us know. I haven't forgot about the sinkhole of indifference topic. Um, that will happen at some point. But uh, we have actually quite a few uh, topics that we want to cover. Um, and we're going to be having some guests um, on a few episodes coming up uh, to talk about different topics. Uh, so stay tuned. We're going to try and be on a good schedule. We're getting ahead of the curve now, and that's going to continue. So we appreciate y'all. Keep listening and stay in the love and light.